We're, uh, we're on All Saints Day today. What, 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 we just celebrated something. What was the last Sunday? Well, at least somebody remembers the good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Halloween, and, and there's all this kind of stuff about what Halloween is. So, let me just kind of tell you that when the Christian church uh, moved in parts of the world where um, there were festivals at this time of year, uh, instead of just kind of trying to shut them down, they, they actually kind of brought them in and Christianized them, if you will. Uh, there's a lot of a feeling that around this time of year when you hit this, uh, the, the fall equinox, that uh, this is the time when the moon is closest to the earth in its orbit. And so this is the time in some cultures where religions thought that it was easy for spirits of the departed to pass back and forth between the afterlife and, and the current life. And there was a number of festivals around that. Well, the Christians I looked at that and they said, you know, that, you know we're, we're, we believe that when we die we pass into heaven. And so they decided to have a celebration of those people, uh, which was All Saints Day. Now, in, in old language, in old English language, that was called All Hallows Day. And the night before it was All Hallows Evening, which in the slang became All Hallowsin, which eventually became Halloween. Uh, so if you've ever wondered about some of that, there's a whole lot to do with the other traditions that are around that that connect into that. But just to kind of let you know, that's, that's you know, it, it, it really isn't what sometimes it gets portrayed as in our current culture. Uh, it's a celebration of the saints in our lives. One of the traditional readings for this comes out of Hebrews. I'm going to share this with you. This is from Hebrews 12. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a, a traditional passage for this in this image of the cloud of witnesses. Carlisle Marty took that and he talked about uh, the balcony people, you know, the cloud of witnesses, all these people that are either up, up here in the balcony, you know, watching what we're doing and, and, and cheering us on. But I really, I really kind of like Paul's imagery a little better, which is more that, you know, we're on this race in life, we're on this path in life, and these are the people that are alongside the road there cheering us on. You know, they're not off somewhere, they're, they're right here on either side of, of the road, you know, cheering us as we're on this path. And for me, at least, um, as my years increase, I'm finding, you know, more and more there's more saints there uh, that I know. And, um, you know, we're, we're here this morning, and one of the names we read, believe it or not, that we, we read just a minute ago was my fifth grade Sunday school teacher many years ago. And uh, I had the honor of presiding at her service. And, uh, and then, you know, up here on the, the table, you know, we have Mary Ann Price's Bible, and a lot of you know, knew Mary Ann uh, very closely. So these are people that, are, that, that come alongside of us. They're not off somewhere, but they're, they're right here cheering us on as we're, we're on this race that we're running. And so I, the question I want to just kind of start off by asking you is, you know, if we're on this race, if we're, if we're running the race with perseverance that's set before us, where, where are we going? Where, where is that leading us to? Let's pray. Almighty Father, we come this morning and we thank you for these saints who are with us in this time, uh, who, who gather around us and encourage us and lift us up even from beyond the grave. We ask that as they cheer us on, we might be open to what it is you want to say to us. And let the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, you know, if you're going to go on a, a race, if you're going to, I mean, it helps to know, like, you know, where the finish line is, right? 
I mean, you want to know where, where, where is this going to end up? I mean, and uh, where do we go? I mean, what, and how do we get from here to there? What's the course? Uh, we want to know these things. And, uh, you know, too often when I talk to folks in the faith, I, I have the sense that they're not really sure what that is, you know? I mean, we're trying to be good people, but we don't really know, you know, where we're having. And if you ask Christians, well, where, where are you heading in life? Well, I want, to, I want to retire at this age, and I want to have this, and I want to be able to do these things and so forth. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that, that, that's okay. You know, but those are all things that are limited in time and, and in, in, in space. But as followers of Christ, you know, shouldn't we be, uh, like, having maybe a more expansive idea of where we're headed? Now, I, you need to hear that we've, we've been, this is not anything new. I mean, the Christian church has always wrestled with this forever, you know, and just kind of understanding that. And, and even very early on, you know, Jesus' immediate associates didn't always get it. There's a, a story in John's gospel about the raising of Lazarus that has come to be, uh, you know, one of those stories that, that really resonates in my life these days. And in, in that, you know, Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus has died. Now, or is sick and dying. Now, now remember, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus, they're not just casual acquaintances. They are very close friends. Their house is where Jesus stays when he goes to Jerusalem. So uh, he knows these guys really well. They're very close to one another. And the word is sent to him that his friend Lazarus is sick unto death. And Jesus' response is, okay, well then, we need to wait here a while. Which isn't what you expect or what his disciples expected but Jesus with the vision that only he can have in this moment wants to be sure that no one thinks that Lazarus is just in a coma or has you know gotten really sick and kind of passed out or something he wants to make sure that there's no question that Lazarus is dead and so they wait several days until that is certain and then he travels to Bethany to be with his friends and as he comes in there, uh, one of Lazarus' sisters, Martha, comes out to greet him. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now it's interesting, both Mary and Martha greet him with that. You know, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But, but I love this, you know, he, he's going to rise again. And she's going, yeah, I know at the, end of, at the end of the ages, you know, the fulfillment of all history, I know that he will rise again. And really, you know, it doesn't say that. But Jesus is really kind of sitting there going, no, actually, it's like in 30 minutes. Uh, you know, I mean, but, but anyway, she doesn't understand that. And so the conversation goes on. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Now, you notice she does not really actually directly answer his question. Right? Everybody who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she kind of sideswipes that. Oh, well, I believe you're the Messiah. She's not really sure what's going on there. She's not really sure how to answer that. And unfortunately, I think that's, that's true for a lot of us, you know. We, we, we struggle to know kind of what the answer to that is. What's your final destination? 
So, you know, when you're traveling, it, it's nice to know where, you, where you're going. And it's nice to know the route to get there. I mean, I love, I, I really, I like, I like the GPS system. You know, I mean, it's, it's really nice. You know, you can bring it up. It tells you this is where you are. This is where you're going. This is, incidentally, this is how to get to the uh, HEB camp out at Lakey. Uh, so it's, you know, how do you go from here to there? What the route is? How long it'll take you? All that kind of stuff. It, it's really helpful. And I learned to appreciate this a number of years ago when uh, I was traveling and uh, went before COVID when we used to be able to do that. Uh, and, and, you know, I would fly into places that were unfamiliar, and it was so nice to have the GPS there because, you know, if you fly, like, into Atlanta, the airport's bad enough, right? But trying to find something in the town if you don't know your way around is just mind-boggling. And it was so nice to have that to tell you, okay, well, you go here, and you turn here, and you get in this lane, you do this and do that. Because Cindy and I don't navigate the same way, my wife and I. You know, I, I navigate by direction, it's north, south, east, west, Right? Uh, I'm looking for this road and it's this many miles and so forth. And Cindy navigates by landmarks. So she drives until she sees something she recognizes. Oh, I recognize that. So this is where we turn. Now, I promise you, she will get to her destination just as surely as I will get to mine. But the way she does it and the way I do it is entirely different. And, and, and so if I try to navigate for her, it just drives her nuts. Okay, we're going to go north on this road for another three miles, blah, blah. Just tell me when we're going to turn, right? Uh, and, and if she tries to navigate for me, you know, it drives me nuts. Well, I'll, I'll know it when I see it. Yeah, but what lane do I need to be in? How far is it? So we have this exercise in frustration going on anytime we try to navigate for each other. And then GPS came along. And it was so nice because the little person in the GPS thing talks to you, right? Do this and do this and do this. And, and she didn't have to navigate for me, and I don't have to navigate for her. So we don't get frustrated with one another. And, and, and if you make a wrong turn, you know, the, the little person on the GPS doesn't go, what are you doing? I told you to turn back there. What are you, what are you thinking? What's wrong with you? You know, I mean, they're very nice. Recalculating. Right? It's really nice. It gets you there. And, and there's a sense of security knowing, okay, I know where I'm going, and I know the route, I know how to get there. And that's really when Paul says, I want you to run the race that's set before you. That's, that's it. You're supposed to know the route. You're supposed to know the destination. And for us, the, the, the destination is the kingdom of God. I mean, even in the early church, they struggled with this. Paul writes to the church in Corinth because there's people in Corinth who were saying things like, you know, you know, Jesus really, he wasn't really raised up. You know, it was just the disciples trying to make themselves feel better, Right. Sound familiar? And we've been saying, we've had people saying the same thing for 2,000 years. This is nothing new. And Paul writes to him and says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. If, if, if there's no resurrection, your faith is futile. Because you're going to die just like everybody else. And all the people you love are going to die just like everybody else. This is critical. And, and Jesus was raised. We saw him. We encountered him. And then someone asked him, you know, well, how are the dead raised then? You know, with what kind of body do they come and Paul says, fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as God has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. 
And that little bit has, has really been something that kind of opened up things for me because, you know, when you read the, the resurrection appearances of Jesus, he does things that we're not normally, I mean, he like goes through, he appears inside locked doors. He appears and he disappears. He shows up and then he's gone. Things that, you know, supposedly you can't do. And yet, at the same time, he also eats a meal with them and they can touch him. There's a corporal, a bodily reality and presence to him that is yet somehow different. And Paul's expression of that is this, this spiritual body, this, this transformation that takes place. This transformation that takes place. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, man, the last Adam, which is a reference for Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, Adam, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, Jesus. As well as the man of dust, so were those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. I mean, there's this picture here of this transformation that takes place when, when this body <laughs> fails. That what God raises up is something that is transformed and given new life and new power. Something that's more glorious than what we would imagine. Something that leaves behind all the failings and the weaknesses that this physical body carries with it and that this life carries with it. Then in that moment, God, God takes us and restores us to who God created to be and that we are more fully who God created us to be than perhaps ever before. And we are that for eternity. That's part of our destination. Not simply to, to make it through the next day, but, but to be raised up in glory for all of eternity. In Revelation, John has this amazing vision of, of what it looks like when, when God finally completes all of creation. <clears throat> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. You have to remember, especially for those of us that grew up on the coast, you know, we have these warm, fuzzy images of the coast and the sea. It's a nice place. You sit in the sand. You enjoy the waves. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a good thing. But, but, but for the Hebrews, the sea was frightening. It was a place where, where people died, a place where people drowned, because they're a desert people. The sea is unfamiliar territory. So to them, it represents all in the world that, that is chaotic and destructive, And when John writes this, he says, all that, the, the first heaven and earth has passed away. The sea is no more. There's no more chaos. There's no more destruction. There's no more darkness. All that has passed away because God has finally brought creation to its final completion. It is now the way God planned it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And there's this wonderful description of the, the city of God, and, and artists and people have tried to capture it. It's, it's, it's really not possible to get an image that captures it because it's just so far beyond our imagination. This city that stretches in all directions, where there's no sun or moon or, or lamp because the light of God fills it. Where, where no more is there anything that brings sadness or pain or sorrow. Where life and joy and glory fills the city. Where, where the presence of God is so immediate and so amazing that the things we now think are precious become the paving stones of the streets. There's this amazing image of, of this place where, where we gather and in, in everything is as God intended and we are with God face to face. Man, have you ever longed to be face to face with God? I mean, have you ever been in that kind of place where you're, uh, something hard is going on in your life and you're kind of going, God, just, you know, just, just give me a sign that you're here. Just show me that you're with me. Just let me know that I'm not alone in this. You ever been there? I mean, in the new city, we're face to face with God all the time. He'll be with us and we will be with him. It's this amazing vision of being in a place where everything is as God intended it to be. That's our destination as well. A transformation that, that not only changes us into who God created us originally to be, but, but actually restores the whole world into how God intended it for it to be. That's the destination. That's the goal line. That's where we're headed. And Paul reminds us that even though that's you know, ahead of us, even in the present moment, there's, there's bits of that that steal into our lives even now. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, keeping your eyes on Christ. So that it's Christ living in you, not just yourself. <clears throat> in Romans, Paul writes uh, and says, we've been, if we have been united with him, Christ, in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. There's a note of freedom in that, of being released from the power of sin in our lives because we have given ourselves to Christ. And this reality of transformation is already taking place within us. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
to be stepping into, even as we're running this race, to be starting to step into the kingdom and the life of Christ moving into us. And then to the Ephesians, he says, God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You notice that this is past tense. It's not simply that we're striving to get there, but, but the destination is reaching out to us in Christ. And some of that transformation is already taking place. We've already been raised up. This is the vision we have. This is what the saints are about. These are the people who are along the road saying, go for that. Don't settle for less. Reach out for it. Because that's what God intends for you. So Jesus goes to Bethany. has these conversations with Mary and Martha. And then he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. And if you ever are there, it's kind of in the side of a hill. There's a, an entry and it goes down some steps uh, into the hill. And then down at the bottom is the place where Lazarus would have been laid. And so he, he, goes, to, he goes to that place. And, and, and he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out with his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It's a wonderful story. Lazarus comes out. And, and the fact that Jesus has to say, say, you know, unbind him and let him go means everybody was just kind of standing there. Nobody ever seen anything like this before. Right? And Jesus has to kind of push him. Hey, hey. Unbind him and let him go. Because it's so easy for us to leave the saints in the grave instead of letting them go to the resurrection. So over 30 years ago, my father passed away from cancer. And in the time when my dad died, it was before they had a lot of the treatment options they have now. Uh, and, and there was no such thing as hospice at that time. And the last three months of his life were, were pure torture. Uh, he literally survived through a living hell for three months. And, and in the midst of that, when I was with him, I can remember getting to that place of just saying, God, God, enough. We, we just, just go on and take him home now. That's enough. And, and then after his death finally occurred, I can remember being in that place of, of being angry and resentful and saying, why? Why? I mean, this man this is a kind and, and gentle and loving man. And why did his story have to end this way? And I wrestled with God over that for a long time in anger. And God finally spoke into my anger and said, Why do you think his story has ended? And I realized that I had been defining my father in terms of his death instead of allowing God to define who my father truly was. 
And you'd think that would stick with you well enough, but here about 10 years back when my mother passed away, I kind of had a similar kind of reaction to that, you know, because my mother was sick the last two years of her life and was in the hospital about, literally about half the time, uh, in the hospital and then at home and back and forth, and life was just not very good for her in that time. And, and when, when she finally passed away, I can remember being in that place and praying, you know, God, why, 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 why couldn't she have ended her life on a better note? And then a few months after she passed away, I had this dream. Now, you need to understand, Cindy, my wife, has vivid dreams. You know, they're, they're just real. She has these vivid, real dreams, and she remembers them. And sometimes she doesn't talk to me for several days because I've done something in a dream I shouldn't have done. <laughs> it's really real to her. I, I normally don't remember dreams. I mean, I'm, I, I may have them, but they don't stick. They're not, they're not that vivid. But, but, you know, she does. But, but I, this dream that I had was vivid and real. And I'm, I'm standing in my mother's office. I don't know why I'm there, but that's where we're at. I'm standing in my mother's office, and she is sitting at her desk. And she's got a big smile on her face. And she says, you don't have to worry about me. I'm fine. And I realized I was doing the same thing. I was letting her dying define who she was. I mean, it's so easy for us to allow the circumstance of the death of those we love to bind them. And in our mind, we hold them in the grave. When the truth is that Jesus says, unbind them and let them go. Because God has something so much more wonderful in mind for them. Something that goes beyond your imagination. God has this transformation into this new creation. Where we resemble the man of heaven. And we are in a place where there's no death or sorrow or pain anymore. Where we're in the presence of God day to day. Where our lives are illuminated by the glory of God. Unbind them and let them go. And so on this All Saints Day, that's, that's the call. Unbind them and let them go. And here's the thing that's amazing. When you release them from the tomb and you embrace the resurrection and know that God has raised them up, that's when you're going to find them beside you on the path that you're walking, cheering you on and encouraging you. That's our destination for you, for me, and for those we love. Unbind them and let them go. Because God has something so amazing in store for them. Let's pray. I'm going to pray over you a prayer out of Ephesians, and I'm just going to ask you to hold your hands out and receive this blessing that Paul originally penned for the church in Ephesus. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height 
and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.